Good morning. Good morning. It's so good to see everyone here this morning. And uh, we uh, want to welcome everyone here to the uh, services this morning. And uh, with all the cold weather, we're, I know there's, we've had pipe issues, etc. And I'm sure many other people have had other uh, cold weather issues. So we're uh, I'm glad everybody can be here this morning. And uh, and just thank uh, this morning of uh, uh, Fred and, uh, and Nancy and Kathy are at the emergency room. Just uh, wanted to mention that while I was thinking of it. Uh, uh, they think it might be uh, complications with the uh, hernia or something. But anyways, uh, he was there a couple days ago and he's down there right now. So uh, as we're here this morning and, uh, and the Lord brings things to mind, if you think of it, just uh, keep them in prayer. Uh, we have the uh, uh, announcements in the bulletin, and uh, you see in there the uh, uh, change in the uh, agenda for the uh, business meeting coming up, and it is usually scheduled for the um, for the last Thursday in January. But with uh, different people having uh, health issues, uh, etc. We're, we're, uh, we had to, we haven't been able to have all of our committee meetings, so we're going to just push that out another week. So it'll be actually the first Thursday in February, February 3rd at 7 o'clock right here. And the uh, if you're on the nominating committee or the budget committee, uh, we're hoping to be able to have that meeting um, this, this week uh, sometime. And uh, we'll be discussing that uh, after church. Any other announcements this morning? Okay. Yes. So the food pantry um, might be a little change as far as the delivery now. Mm -hmm. Good Shepherd is fortunately going to be delivered here to our parking lot. Oh wow! A couple of times a month. Mm -hmm. the, the only thing is with that, we might because the driveway down here is big enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it's going to work better. So many times over the past two or three years, we have our food pantry the third Saturday, and the deliveries the third Thursday, our Tuesday. So sometimes the delivery is afterwards. So we're hoping this might work. Out right. Yeah. Good. Okay. Excellent. Any other announcements? All right. Well, let's open uh, with a word of prayer. Our dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to be in your house today. And 
as we go through difficulties and, and trials, we can trust in you and know that you have everything under control and that, and that there are no surprises with you. <laughs> there are with us, but not with you. And we thank you for watching over each one of us and helping us through those difficulties. We pray that you would help us to truly trust in you with all of our hearts. And uh, as we do that, we become closer to you. And so we pray that that would be the case, and that you would help us to each and every day be a witness to those around us, uh, that they might, if they don't know you, that they might come to know you. And so we thank you for this morning. We pray that you'd watch over us as we go through our service. We pray that your Holy Spirit would watch over us and speak to us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through Ian this morning as he brings the message. We pray that you would bless our singing and uh, each part of the service. And we pray that you would watch over those that are not able to be here for whatever reason. And uh, we think of uh, Fred and Nancy and Kathy and, and others uh, that may not be here. And we pray that you would just bring them back to us soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Our scripture reading this morning will be found in Psalm 19, if you'd like to follow along, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they, pay, they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word today. Amen. 
Now, if you would turn in your um, blue book to number 101. 101, and we'll sing verses 1, 3, and 5. 1, 3, and 5. recognize the uh, the title and so I wasn't sure what the tune was but uh, the doxology to that tune is a is just a little different but uh, that's good all right and now would the uh, men come forward for the morning offering please
Amen. And if you would remain standing and turn in your green book uh, in your in the pew ahead of you uh, to number eight, Christ is risen. Amen. How can it be the one who died has borne our sin through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death? Sing, sing hallelujah. For joy awakes as dawning light when Christ's disciples lift their eyes alive he stands their friend and king christ christ he is risen christ is risen he's risen indeed oh sing alleluia join the chorus sing with the redeemed christ is risen risen indeed. Where doubt and darkness once had been, they saw him and their hearts believed. But blessed are those who have not seen yet. Sing Alleluia. Once bound by fear, now bold in faith, they preach the truth and power of grace, and pouring out their lives, they gain life, life everlasting. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Oh, sing alleluia. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. The power that raised him from the grave now works in us to powerfully save. He frees our hearts to live his grace. Go tell of his Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Oh, sing alleluia. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Oh, sing alleluia. Join the chorus, sing with the redeemed. Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Amen. You may be seated.
morning, church. Wonderful to see you all this morning. We'll take a moment now to, uh, to come together to the Lord in prayer. All right. Let's go now to God together in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we, and we praise you because you are God and you reign over all things. We praise you because our creator, you're our creator. We look around at the beauty of this earth. And we look, Lord, at the, the complexity of, of our own bodies and minds. We look at the, the joy of human friendship, Lord. And um, Lord, we have so much to praise you for. You have made truly a wonderful world. And we even look to ourselves and we, we pray, Lord, with the psalmist that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Even on these cold winter days, Lord, the beauty of the snow and of the ice is something else. As we come to you this morning, Lord, and as we praise you for your beauty and your glory, we confess that, we're, that we fall so far short of that glory, that we're sinners and that we often go astray. We're prone to wander. Lord, we feel it. We know, Father, that your commands are clear to love you, our God, with our whole hearts, our whole minds, with our whole selves, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we, we confess, Lord, that this week we've gone astray in both of those ways. We've often forgotten you, ignored you and your laws and your good ways, and, and, and Lord, we've not loved our neighbors as we ought to. And so we... We'll take a moment now to silently confess our sins unto God. As we come to the throne of grace, we pray with the psalmist, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness. We thank you, Lord, that as we come to you in Jesus' name, we understand that, that you are a God of steadfast love, that in the name of Jesus, we can be redeemed, that through his death and his resurrection, we can be forgiven, cleansed of our sins, that we can ask for forgiveness with confidence, knowing how perfect your work on the cross, Jesus, is to cleanse us from all iniquity. We ask that you'd free us from the guilt, the shame, and the power of our sin, and that by your spirit, you would lead us to walk in newness of life. And we say with the Apostle Paul, we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. And the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God, who loved us and gave himself for us. Father, we thank you for this church body. We pray that you'd continue to be at work among us. We think especially of the, the meetings in the coming weeks, a business meeting and, and meetings that happen, have to happen before that, budget meetings and nomination committee meetings. And Lord, we just pray your blessing over all of it, that you'd be at work in building your church, that we wouldn't, that Lord, even in the details, we would do it all for your glory, uh, Lord, and that, that you, would, you would really be using it all. We ask, Lord, that you'd revive our hearts. 
that you'd revive this church body. That on an individual basis, Lord, we would, we would experience personal revival in Jesus Christ. That you, by your Holy Spirit, would be at work in us. That if we're stagnant in our spiritual walks, that you'd bring us to life. That we'd find new and vibrant life as we study your word. That, we'd, that you'd lead us into new discipleship relationships, Lord, with, with those we need to learn from and those we ought to be teaching that you'd be at work in this body, that we'd be growing. You'd reveal to us those areas of our lives where we're toying with worldliness and ungodliness. And you teach us righteousness. We ask, Lord, that in our great joys and in our deep sorrows, that you would teach us to see your presence and your sovereign love in every moment of our day. You'd bring our hearts to life in you. Pray your blessing over the rest of this service, that you'd be at work among us, and we look forward, Lord, to what you will do today and the coming days and weeks among us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So many of the old, uh, old songs I have such a message, and uh, the uh, song before the message is uh, 344, grace that is greater than our sin, and no matter, no matter how much our sin, God's grace is even greater, and, uh, and we can take comfort in knowing that, and uh, for our salvation, we can rely on him. Let's stand and sing verses uh, one, three, and four of number 344. One, three, and four. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. 
will you this moment his grace receive grace grace god's grace grace that will pardon and cleanse within grace grace god's grace grace that is greater than all our sins you may be seated thank you A scripture text for our sermon this morning will be found in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, and we'll be looking this morning at verses 16 through 20. We've been looking the last number of weeks at the question of the church. And a few weeks ago, we asked, what is the church? Last week we asked, what is the purpose of the church? And this morning we're going to ask and hopefully answer, what is the mission of the church? Very practically, what does Jesus expect of us as disciples of Jesus in our local church? What is, what is our mission? What are we supposed to be busy with? And in order to answer this question, we're again looking at Matthew 28, 16 through 20, which the church has come to call the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And just for some context, this is right at the end of Jesus' ministry. This is after his resurrection by a number of weeks. He's told the disciples to meet him on a mountain in Galilee. And so they climb up the mountain. They get to the top. I sort of imagine hiking up Haystack. And up at the top, there's Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Right? The Savior they, they had followed for so many years, the Savior who they'd seen crucified, and the Savior who they'd now seen alive. And Jesus, there at the top of the mountain, gave the disciples their marching orders, their commission, their mission as followers of Jesus. And their mission is this, and this is our big idea, if you want to write it down, the mission of the church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church in this age is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. Let's read the passage together and then we'll pray. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we read these words from your son's mouth, we pray that you would teach us, that you would make our, our hands and feet busy with the mission you have given us, that you'd comfort us with your authority 
and your presence and you'd send us out, Lord, and get us excited about the, the work that you are now doing in the world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Great Commission, Jesus uses a handful of imperative verbs, a handful of commands. Go, make, baptize, teach. Go, make, baptize, teach. We're going to look at those four verbs and what they mean and how we ought to be doing those things in our life as a church. But before Jesus uses one of those imperatives, before Jesus makes any commands to disciples of Jesus, he says something about himself. Verse 18, and sometimes we skip this when we read the Great Commission, but this is so important. Before Jesus gives these disciples the, the greatest, most important command he will give them, he says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And this is the context in which Jesus situates our mission. As we're thinking about what, what Jesus has given us to do as a church, what our mission is, we have to begin because Jesus began with his authority. His authority. And in fact, he ends the Great Commission with another sort of assurance. After he says, verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He bookends these great commands with an assurance on the one hand of his authority and on the other hand with his presence. Now, Try and put yourself in the disciples' shoes hearing, hearing these words where Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? That's why they were worshiping the, him there on the top of the mountain. They understood this resurrected Christ, he's the very son of God, he's the Messiah, he's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And how would that understanding shape this commission? Well, first of all, I think it would carry a sense of challenge, right? If the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who has all authority over all things on heaven and on earth, tells you to go, you go, right? Which the disciples did. And if the King of kings and Lord of lords is telling us to go, if he's telling us to make, if he's telling us to baptize, if he's telling us to teach, we ought to pay attention. This is important. But it also, I think, serves as a, a comfort to the disciples. And it should serve as a, a comfort to us. Notice in verse 17, the shade of doubt amongst the disciples. Now, these are the 11 disciples. These are Jesus' closest followers. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Now, these are the 11 Right? This isn't Judas who betrayed Jesus. These are disciples who were faithful to Jesus, and they lived out the rest of their lives faithfully following Jesus, faithfully carrying out the spirit of the, the commands that he'd given them. But even among these faithful disciples, even with the resurrected Christ standing in front of them, some doubted. Now, 
scholars and commentators I've read this week aren't entirely sure what to make of this. And Matthew doesn't give us any details further than, but some of them doubted. Some of them had hesitations. And Matthew was there. He would have known. Maybe he's describing himself. But at the very least, this should show us that there on the mountain, as the disciples were receiving the Great Commission, they didn't have it all together. Sometimes we imagine the apostles as these spiritual giants who did everything perfectly and never made any mistakes. And one look at Scripture will rid you of that illusion, right? They, they made a lot of mistakes. They didn't have it all together. And there on the mountain, as Jesus was giving them this great commission, this, this weighty mission, they didn't have it all together. And I wonder, I wonder how they thought of themselves, 11 men against the world, right? And Jesus is saying, go make disciples of all the nations. You 11, um, take over the world. That's pretty daunting for a bunch of guys who didn't even have it all together. Which I think is why, in part, Jesus starts with all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The disciples weren't going on their own authority. They weren't going on their own strength or in their own power. They were going on behalf of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's what kept them going even against the great opposition of the Roman Empire, even when they were beaten and stoned and cast out of cities, that the king had sent them and they could do no other, that the king was with them and would eventually achieve the victory. Amen. And what strength that should give us too, because uh, I don't know about you, but there's been zero days this past week when I've had it all together. <laughs> Right? <laughs> we don't have it all together. And this, this challenge can be daunting to us, right? And maybe you're, maybe you're intimidated by the idea of, of doing evangelism. Maybe you're intimidated by the idea of having a conversation about Jesus with someone. Um, or maybe you, you just, you look around at our church and you're like, we're just a, we're just a few people. And like, like, what hope do we have to actually see kingdom fruit in liberty? The hope is not in us. The hope is in the, our Lord. We've been giving marching orders by the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And guess where he is? According to Jesus, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's with us even now. Jesus reigns from heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he has sent his Spirit, and the Holy Spirit of the living God is even among us right now. The Holy Spirit of the living God, the presence of the ruler of the universe, will be with you on Tuesday when you have that conversation with your uncle who doesn't know the Lord, and you feel prompted to ask a question. Hey, what have you, have you thought about this? The authority and the presence of Jesus surround and undergird this great commission, and they should give us hope. 
Four commands. Go, make, baptize, teach. Start with go. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. These 11 disciples were being sent out. They were there on a, on a hillside in Galilee, and Jesus was saying, I want you to go. Go where? To all nations. The Greek word there is ethne. Nations, usually we're thinking of like a, a geopolitical entity, like go to all the countries of the world. That's part of it, but, but really the word is like people groups. Go to every last person on the world, every last village and hamlet, and make disciples. The first thing Jesus says is go. And that's what the apostles do. Right? They, they start by proclaiming the gospel in Jerusalem and Judea and then in Samaria, and then they, they spread out. They go all over the Roman world. By, by the end of the first century, after the, uh, the last of the, the disciples have died, um, some of them have made it, as, as far as church tradition goes, as far as India in the east, and perhaps as far as um, Spain in the west. Right? They've gone a long ways, and then they passed on the baton to the next generation. Right? And in the, la the history of the last 2,000 years, the gospel has gone out. Right? Disciples have been made in all the nations of the world. There's more people who name the, the name of Christ in the world today than any other world religion. There are Christians all over the place. There are still some people who need to be reached. And, and we have today, and our, our church supports missionaries who are in other countries and other parts of the world who are, who are sharing the gospel with people who've never heard it. And it's still our responsibility to go. Some people are called to, to physically go, move somewhere else to, to share the gospel. But all of us, too, as Christians, we're, we're obligated to follow this command to go. That doesn't mean you have to move this week. But you've actually been sent somewhere really unique, even if you never thought of it that way. You've been put providentially by the sovereignty of God in a very unique missionary setting. Liberty, Maine. Liberty, Maine, a place these 11 could never have dreamed of. They didn't know North America existed. And you've been put here, flung here, in the providence of God on the far side of the world, in the state of Maine in the year 2022. And the number of Bible-believing Christians in the state of Maine is in the single digits, percentage-wise. Right. Most of the people in your community do not understand the gospel, and they do not know Jesus. You're living amongst a post-Christian culture which is beginning to border on an unreached people group. And I've, I've thought a lot about this this week, and it has just struck me. Um, when, a, 
when a missionary goes to a, f a foreign missionary context, the first thing they begin to do is to learn the language and to learn the culture and to begin to meet people and to begin to understand the people they're, they're trying to communicate the gospel to so they can understand how to communicate effectively. Um, uh, I follow, well, I, we, we know, uh, and some of you may know, Paul Mackey and his wife and family, and they're, they're over in Japan, and they've been there, I think, about a year now, um, and, and they're serving as missionaries in Japan. And Paul and his family have spent the first year doing one thing, basically, learning the language, <laughs> right? Learning to speak the language, learning to figure out the ins and the outs of Japanese culture, learning to begin to understand the people they want to minister to. Friends, we don't need a crash course in liberty culture, right? You have been perfectly placed to understand the people around you. You have been perfectly placed to be able to communicate them with them in words they understand. In fact, you already have, a, and you may have a list in your mind of friends and family and neighbors who don't know the Lord, and you've known them for years, and you know their struggles, and, and you know what they've gone through, and you know where their heart needs healing in Christ. And this is the thing that struck me. This group of people is the single most qualified group in the entire world to share the gospel in Liberty, Maine. You are, you are the elite paratroopers of the kingdom of God, hand-picked for Liberty, Maine, for your street and your neighborhood. Go. That's the first command. And in a sense, you've already been sent. Question, is there somewhere Jesus is asking me to go? Maybe you're hearing all this and you're like, okay, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, I'm a disciple. Okay, so there's this mission I have. I need to be making disciples. Where on earth do I start? And maybe you say, honestly, Ian, mostly I hang out with church people, and I'm not sure I know that many non-Christians very well. If that's you, step one is go. Um, one or two houses over, start somewhere, and bring someone a plate of cookies and invite them to have dinner at your dinner table and get to know them. That's step of obedience one this week. Go. Begin to know the people around you. Begin to learn their stories. Begin to ask questions about where they are spiritually. If they believe in God. If they believe in God. Actually care about them. Help them. Be a friend. Be a neighbor. That's the first step here. Go. Go, therefore, and secondly, make disciples. Make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, we have, a, we have 11 of them standing in front of us in this passage, right? These are the quintessential disciples. These are people who had left behind everything to trust and follow Jesus. A disciple is a, is a student, a learner, but more than just like a student of geometry, this is like a student of Jesus, right? 
not only coming to learn what Jesus knows, but to become like Jesus is and to follow Jesus and to trust him with everything. These disciples had come to understand that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior, and they'd come to trust him. And they'd given their lives to obeying and to following him. And so now these 11 disciples are told by Jesus, all right, here's your job. Your disciples, now you go make more disciples. You go find other people who want to follow Jesus and you show them the way. You teach other people to be disciples too. And this is, this is one way of conceiving of what the church is. The church is disciples who make disciples. And it has been from the beginning. If you're tracing church history, one way to sum it all up, a bunch of disciples have made a bunch more disciples in every generation. And that's our, our task too. As disciples of Jesus, we too have been called to make disciples of Jesus. So question, how does one make a disciple? The command is, is clear and crisp, right? Make disciples. It's just like, it's like freeze tag, like tag, you're a disciple. <laughs> no, making disciples is, is not, it'd be nice if it was that simple, right? Like find the disciple button, nope, oh, now you're a disciple. <laughs> making disciples is, is complicated. That could be daunting to us, right? Because there is no disciple button because people are complicated. Think of, Think of how you became a disciple when you first came to know Jesus. That's a good place to start. How, how was it that you came to know Jesus? Probably there were some people involved, some Christians, maybe one, maybe more, who told you about Jesus. They told you about his death and his resurrection. They told you about how you could be forgiven of your sins. You have eternal life in him. And maybe you had lots of conversations and lots of questions and lots of objections, or maybe it was simple and straightforward. But somewhere along the way, the Spirit was at work in your heart, whether you knew it or not. You felt yourself being drawn to Christ, and eventually the defenses went down, and you said, I, I need to follow Jesus. And he said, come, and you said, okay. And you put your trust in him. So, so who made the disciple? I was like, well, it's complicated. God's the sovereign one behind all of it, right? God's the one who brought that, those Christian friends into your lives. God's by his spirit, is the one who's working on your heart even to soften you to be able to consider this. And then your own will and heart was involved and your own wrestlings and and then these Christians were also involved. And so as, as we're thinking of, it's like, well, how do we make disciples? It's not a mechanistic thing, right? But I think it's helpful to think of ourselves in the roles of those Christians who were around us when we became disciples, right? How can we be intentional about being a, the kind of person in people's lives who's constantly, gently sometimes, 
maybe sometimes very firmly pointing someone towards Jesus. Always pressing someone in the direction of Jesus. We're, we often think about the task of evangelism too simplistically. We have in our minds the picture of an evangelist on TV pressing someone to make a decision for Christ. I think there's a, there's a place for that. But a lot of the people we meet, especially in 2022 in Liberty, Maine, in post-Christian America, are not right on the edge of becoming a Christian. If you think about evangelism on a number line, and zero being someone who's just about ready to make a decision for Christ, and one being someone who's a brand new baby Christian, and 10 being someone who's a mature Christian, most of the people we meet are not at negative one or zero. A lot of the people we know, our friends and our neighbors, are out at negative seven or negative eight. And they don't need someone to bash the Bible over their head. What they need is someone to, is to figure out where they are, to ask them good questions about what they believe about God and about Jesus, and to begin to explore what it might look like for them to move from negative eight to negative seven. And that's going to be a lot of the work, our work of evangelism as we're talking to friends and neighbors is figuring out where people are at and saying, all right, what, what can I do to help this person take one step closer to Jesus? And prayer is integral to this, right? Praying about, okay, Lord, are there people you want me to have conversations with? Is there someone I should have over for coffee? Is there someone I should go out hunting with? Is like, what, what practically are you calling me to, Lord? And then in the middle of those conversations, Praying for wisdom, asking, Lord, how can, I, how can I poke or prod or ask a good question or, or say, hey, there's, a, there's something I read in Scripture that kind of connects with that. Or, hey, have you ever, have you ever read the Bible? There's something wonderful. And, um, and we could go on all morning talking about examples of how to do this, right? Um, but it's helpful to think in terms of that number line. Think about, okay, how can I help someone take one step closer to Jesus? That's evangelism. That's making disciples. And it'll, it's really freeing to understand that we can't actually make it happen. You cannot force anyone to be a disciple of Jesus. No amount of your human energy can do it. Our role is to be there and to poke and to prod and to ask good questions and to point in the right direction and to pray, pray, pray that the Holy Spirit would be at work in people's hearts and people's lives. Go, make disciples. Practically, the question to ask this week is, um, where is God calling you to get involved in someone's life and to start asking some questions? Go, make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Third command, baptizing them. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As we're having these conversations, as we're seeking to guide people closer to Christ, in God's mercy, people get saved. You all did. 
at some point you came to believe in Jesus Christ and your heart was born again by the Holy Spirit. And someone had a conversation with you where they, they made sure you understand, understood. You know who Jesus is? You know what he did for you. Do you understand what the cross means? Have you repented of your sins? Have you turned from your old ways and do you want new life in Christ? Do you want to be forgiven of your sins? And at some point you prayed to the Lord. Maybe you used some scripted words or maybe you fumbled out a prayer that you barely understood. But at that point you were giving your heart over to Jesus, praying that the Lord might forgive you and asking him to be Lord and King in your life. And we can be that person for people there at that moment. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of. And maybe you feel uncomfortable with that prospect. And you're like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what words I would have to say. Um, if that's you and you've got questions, talk to a mature Christian in the church and ask, what, how is it that, that you help someone become a Christian and give their lives to Christ? It's, it's simpler than we make it out to be. And then when a person comes to Christ, we're commanded as Christians to baptize them. I love baptisms. I was so bummed that I was not able to be at the baptism last summer. Nora was being born, so it's like, you know, I'm glad I was there. But um, what, a, what a joy to see people publicly profess their faith and to go under the water as a sign that their old self is dead with Christ, that their sins are nailed to the cross, and to come out of the water as if coming out of the grave, alive in Jesus. Amen? It's a wonderful gift that the Lord has given us, baptism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because for the Christian, well, it's a sign that God has come into their lives, right? that the Father has sovereignly plucked them from their sin, that the Son has effectively cleansed them from their sin and brought them into new life, and that the Spirit has effectively brought their heart to new life. Right? So we say the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in the water, out to new life. Go, make disciples, baptize, and finally teach. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Discipleship doesn't end at conversion. Discipleship begins at conversion. Right? You come out of the water and your task has just begun. Right? I mean, first of all, because we've talked about this, as a disciple, your obligation is to make more disciples, to be involved in God's kingdom work in the world. But not only that, Jesus says that, that our job as Christians is actually to teach disciples to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. The rest of our lives looks like learning more and more how to obey Jesus. Learning more and more how to conform our lives and our hearts to the heart of Christ. How are we supposed to do this? 
what does, what does teaching them to observe look like practically in the life of the church? Well, the first thing, and maybe the most obvious thing, is what you're already doing, right? What we're doing here together, that we together are coming to the Word of God, and quite explicitly this morning, we're learning to observe all that Jesus has commanded us, right? Um, and so being a part of a, of a Bible-believing church and faithfully attending the services is step one of growing as a disciple. There's so many other ways to grow, but in terms of the, the biblical model for, for how it is Christians are to grow and serve, it's in the context of a local church. Right? The writer of Hebrews says, do not forsake the, the assembly of the, the believers. That as, as Christians, we actually need each other. We need each other. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And attendance on a Sunday morning is sort of just like, sort of just the start. In my, in my own personal experience, um, I attended church for many years, faithfully every Sunday morning, and I didn't grow a bit. Um, and it wasn't until I was involved with Christians on a personal basis, who knew what was going on in my life, and who were praying for me personally, and who were challenging me to grow in specific areas that my spiritual life began to blossom and to grow. Um, it's, it's really key. If you feel like you've plateaued, if you feel like I'm kind of dry and I haven't grown and I, I wanna make progress in my Christian life, I would encourage you, the way to do that is to be involved in personal discipleship. And there's all sorts of opportunities for that in, in our church, right? Um, real easy one is Sunday school. We, have, we meet an hour and a half before the service at nine o'clock on every Sunday morning and we spend time in scripture. We try and make that practical. Uh, if you wanna grow in your knowledge of scripture, whether you're young or old, right? Um, that's a great place to start. Um, we have men's and women's small groups starting um, this spring. So the women's group is already meeting with Donna. Um, men's group is going to be meeting on Wednesday nights starting this week. So if you're looking for a, a place to grow, an intentional community, be praying about growing as disciples of Jesus, that's a great place to, to go. We have prayer meeting on Thursday nights. We have a Bible study on Thursday mornings. There's opportunities throughout the week if literally none of those times work for you, come to me and, and Miranda and I will meet with you personally once a week if you're hungry for discipleship, right? There are ways to do it. There's all kinds of mature Christians in this. Find someone who, who seems to know more than you and say, hey, would you, read, would you read scripture with me once a week and pray with me, right? Just as simple as that, we, we need each other. We, we really do. And my prayer is that we would become a congregation where this sort of discipleship, like actually doing Christian life together, would be, would be at the heart of who we are. Um, that we, we are involved as individuals in reaching out to people around us in our community, trying to lead people closer to discipleship, 
to Jesus and that we would find in our own church community both Paul's and Timothy's, right? And it's a classic analogy that's used, right? Find someone who can be a Paul to your Timothy, who could be teaching you, encouraging you, pointing out your blind spots, praying for you, and find someone who can be like a Timothy to you, right? Um, someone, someone who needs encouragement, who's young in the faith, um, and who you can encourage. That's the model Jesus has given us, right? You 11 disciples, go make more disciples. Go make, baptize, teach, rinse, repeat. Generation after generation after generation. Go make, baptize, teach. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is among us. The Holy Spirit is, is here with us. God is at work in our church and in our community. And the question is, have we submitted ourselves to his design? Are we willing to start this week asking, Lord, where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to talk to? Who should I be praying for? Submitting ourselves to his will. And if we become a congregation of people who are doing that weekly, who knows what God might do? All authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. And behold, he is with us, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for your son, Jesus. And we thank you for the, the mission which you have been empowering and guiding throughout the centuries that we are the grateful recipients of a great heritage of discipleship stretching back 2,000 years to those 11 men on that hilltop. We thank you for them, Lord, and we thank you for our spiritual, our spiritual forebears, our fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers in the faith. We pray, Lord, that you would, you would be showing us quite clearly and explicitly this week where you're calling us to step out in faith and to go and to reach out to people around us who don't know Jesus. We pray, too, that you'd, be, um, that you'd be at work among us, creating a culture of discipleship in this church where we're learning from each other and actually growing in vibrant, living faith. We entrust all this to you, Lord, and we ask that, that you would be at work. We know we can't do anything without you. We know we really don't have it all together. But we want to follow you. We want to be a part of what you're doing in this world. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. In closing, let's sing 597, Take My Life and Let It Be, how appropriate. Let's sing the first and the last verse. Now let's stand 597. Take my moment.